Hey, this is Brent Ingersoll from King's Church. Thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. I pray that this message you're about to hear empowers you, encourages you, challenges you, and equips you to live the life that Jesus has for you. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us today, wherever you are. Uh, definitely want to say a special shout out to all you Halifax people who are back in the lockdown. Oh, we know your pain. We know it. This too shall pass, but we are glad that you can tune in together today. I do want to honor Pastor Seth and Leanne for their leadership in this season. Uh, It's been very hard as the church to take one step forward, two steps back, three steps sideways, one step up, duck, and it's all the things. And we just, uh, I honor all of our campus leaders, actually, Johnny and Lisa and Adam and Julie. We just are so grateful for your leadership today. All right, I, I don't have a ton of time. I definitely need more than 30 minutes, though. Give me 35, guys. Let's just go crazy. Give me 35. And uh, I want to jump right in. If you have a Bible, uh, we're going to do the deep dive today. You good to do some Bible study? Okay, all right. Online, hey, open up blueletterbible.org or .com, one of the ones, or go to Bible Gateway. Hopefully people here at the Valley, you brought a Bible. I want you to open it up. And we are going to park in uh, Matthew chapter 28, Matthew chapter 28. And we are going to just do the deep dive. I got my pencil out. I'm going to circle words. It's going to get wild. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 28, I want to read it and then we're going to unpack it. We're going to look at this a bunch of times and we're going to get uh, hopefully a vision for what God has in mind for us as his people. Are you ready? You awake? All right, let's read it. I'm going to read it to us and we'll start to unpack. It says, then, this is the end of Matthew's gospel. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. So they go up on a mountain, and when they saw him, they saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But some doubted. I love that that's there, because this has never been easy for everyone. Then Jesus came to them, and he said this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he's King Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. When? Always to the very end of the age. This is the last thing that Matthew records Jesus saying. The book of Acts records something similar. The book of Mark, something similar. The book of Luke, something similar. Uh, Jesus gave these instructions to his followers, to his disciples. It was one kind of central command, one job to do. And I want to look at that today, but I want to start with a question. Isn't it incredible how easily we as human beings can get off task? Have you noticed that? Any parents noticed that? Like maybe you don't notice it in yourself and you didn't realize it until you became a parent. It didn't become a parent until you became a parent. Oh, wow, I am, Pastor Greg, where are you? You didn't notice it until you became a parent, and then you have to, like, like with my son, son, I want you to clean your room. When I get home tonight, your room better be clean. And you get home, and what is it? He did everything but the one thing I told you. I gave you one, you had one job, right? Any parents just know the struggle. The struggle is real. Well, you, you are, yeah, you are not exempt, though, We as human beings, we're all prone to that. We're all prone to get off task and to to not do the one thing we set out to do, aren't we? In fact, the internet is full of good, you had one job to do memes. I I love them. I reached out to my buddy Jock in Halifax to help me find a few of them. Uh, I like this one. Somebody had one job to do. He was trying to paint a fire lane, but he had lunch on his mind, right? Get some fries, fries with that. I thought this one was funny too. Uh, This guy was sleeping in geography class. 
That is not Asia, Asia, y'all. That is the motherland. Uh, this one was great. I wonder how many they stacked before they realized uh, this is okay. Oh, whoops. You have one job to do. This is going to be a problem. Uh, this is going to end very badly. Very badly. Uh, I thought this one was funny. You got first place. I, I put that in there because my, my youngest son, Alex, he, we still haven't corrected him. He's at that age where he's too old that you really need to be correcting him, but it's just too cute. You don't want to, you know? And uh, he, he says, you know, he uses thirst, uh, it's thirst, uh, sorry, not thirst. He calls it thurf, thurf place anyway. So you have one job to do, but we, we are talking right now about the, the, the life of being Christians and what it's all about And one of the great challenges in life is to actually stay on target and to keep on task. And today I want to talk about the main task of the church. The main job and the vision that God gave us as the church as we continue our series we are calling As For Me and My House. And this is, as we've established now over the last couple weeks, I hope you've tuned into those. If you are part of King's Church, I want to implore you not to miss a single one of these messages because these are who we say, who we are defining ourselves to be as we head into the next season. But we, over the last couple weeks, have begun to establish the, the, the building blocks of, of our church. And we began by looking at this passage by, uh, in Joshua, where Joshua gathers Israel in a time of transition and disruption. He says, now is the time for us to redefine who we will serve and the household that we're going to establish. And he said, you choose this day who you will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And so we here at King's Church are viewing this time as a window of decision. And I actually believe it's a moment of grace that God is giving us as the church to actually voluntarily decide to reestablish Christ Jesus and his kingdom in the house. And I believe that window is closing and God is going to bring real separation in the church in this next season. You are going to see people who were loosely connected to church for, for a long time, you're going to see them fall off. I actually think the Lord is bringing swift judgment to complacent Christianity. I believe he's bringing swift judgment to consumer Christianity that's built around what can the church do for you instead of what can we do for King Jesus. And I think he's bringing that to an end. He's bringing judgment on it. And so we are trying to be very serious and intentional right now in this season. And we are establishing this house and getting down to the bedrock. And last week we began by drilling into the bedrock of who we are. And it's all built on the fact that we are a King Jesus people. We talked about that last week. And it's important that we revisit that. That I remind you today that we are a King Jesus people. And the great commandment, the number one thing God told us to do is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. To have no other gods beside him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other way to to the Father but through him. And we must establish that with clarity and conviction in this season. We need to actually identify all the idols that have crept up for our allegiance and set them apart and say, as for me and my house, we'll serve King Jesus. Can I get an amen? Amen. And so, yes, amen. And so we're talking about that last week and we we redefined, we, we talked about the gospel and how we are King Jesus people and that the gospel is the good news, that Jesus is king over everything and that he's taken charge over the powers of sin, Satan and death through his death and resurrection. And now he reigns over all and is establishing a kingdom without end. 
And it's on the backdrop of that that I want to begin our conversation today. As for me and my house, we will be on mission. As for me and my house, we will be on mission. Today I want to answer two questions. And I want to dive into Matthew 28. Two questions that we're going to talk about for our time today. And the questions we're going to answer is this. What is... What is the mission of the church? And how do we accomplish the mission of the church? What is the mission of the church? And how do we accomplish the mission? Are you ready? We're going we're to unpack this. You good? We good online? We're going to do a bit of Bible study. So, so get ready. Buckle up. Go back to Matthew 28. And let's start to unpack this. The mission of the church. And we're going to establish this. Now, I want to already begin by saying this. That the mission is more than the church has made it to be in recent days. And I want to admit that the the mission of God is actually more than I have made it out to be. And we at King's Church have made it out to be. And I believe God is expanding the scope of what we believe the mission and the vision of the church actually is. And Jesus clarifies his grand mission to us in Matthew 28. Let's look again at it and let's just see if we catch it. Jesus said some pretty grand, pretty big words here, didn't he? He said, he goes up on a mountain and he says, all authority has been given to me. I have, there's no authority that I don't have, all authority. And then he says, go and make disciples, not just of people who might be interested, make disciples of what? All nations. That's every type of person everywhere. There is no nation that is exempt. There's nobody that God is not looking to get to. And then he goes on and he says this, you have this grand vision and this grand commandment and then he gives them this like, this statement at the end, I will be with you through it to the very end of the age. That's a major statement, isn't it? Like you think about it, he's like, hey, if you guys can just hold down the fort for a few weeks, we'll be right back. It's not what he said. He said, you go and I'll be with you in it until the end of the age when God wraps up the story of history and brings the new creation into its fullness. That is a major, massive mandate. And, it's, and I, I want us to get an understanding of how big the scope of this is and what Jesus actually had in mind when he was saying this because it's really easy to miss. Now to do that, I want us to get the big picture. So we're gonna go back in time today. We're going we're gonna to hop in the Wayback Machine, and we're going to go back to Genesis. Can we do that? We're going to get the grand story of the Bible, and we're going to go to Genesis. And I actually have an app to, to actually help us go back in time. So I'm going to press the button. We're going to fire up the Wayback Machine, and we're going to go back to Genesis. You ready? Buckle up. You good? Here we go. All right, let's go. We're going back to Genesis chapter 1, back to the creation story, and go. <laughs> Welcome to the beginning. You didn't know that Wayback Machines run on diesel, did you? Sometimes you gotta, gotta pull the choke, but we got there. Here we are in Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning of the creation account. Now the Bible says that God created everything. And this whole belief system that we have based on King Jesus is based on the assertion that we aren't here by some cosmic mistake but that God created everything. There is a designer outside of space and time who, who designed this. And it, we begin the story, and we get the story of creation where it tells us that the earth was formless and void, and the spirit hovered over the waters. The waters represent chaos. 
And then it says that the word of God spoke and said, let there be. And God began the creative process. God creates through his word, which is a whole talk we're going to do in the coming weeks. But God began to create and he created the heavens and the earth and the light and the sea and the sky. And he created the, the land. And then he created the vegetation and he created the animals and the sea creatures. And then we find on the sixth day, he creates his crown jewel of creation. He creates human beings. It tells us that, that God actually formed man from the dust. And he made a man. And then it says the spirit, the same spirit that hovered over the waters, now watch this, breathed into the man and made him a living being. Now he was the only part of the creation that the spirit breathed life into. That is so substantial because the assertion of the Bible from the beginning is that the life of God, the life of the spirit dwells in humanity. That's a massive assertion. And then we find there's a specific mandate given to humanity, the first humans. It said, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea. So don't miss this. They're made, we're made in their image, in God's image. And we are called to rule over the fish in the sea. And the sea and the, and the creatures that move along the ground. So, so God, there it is again, created mankind in his own own image. We are made in the image of God and in the image of God. Are you getting the picture? In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You have been designed in his image. And then it says this, this is important. God blessed them. And then he said to them, this is a commandment, be fruitful and multiply. Some of y'all figured that out. Be fruitful and multiply, increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. There it is again. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds and the, and the creatures of the ground. What is, what is this talking about? Well, a few things. Don't miss this. Now, you're going to see why we're, ta- we're talking about this in a minute. But get this. God made you in his image. God placed his glory and his spirit in humanity from the beginning. And then God gave us authority. We are God's image bearers who walk in authority on the earth to exact and enact his will and his way on the earth. Is that making sense? Hang with me. And then we were given a job to do, to actually extend the image and the presence and the will and the reality of God through us into more. Are you, are you, are you with me? Are you tracking? So God made humans with the capacity to bear his image, to walk in, in, in step with him, to exact and enact his will, and to actually be able to go into the world and subdue it. We were actually called to go into the world and to cultivate the life of heaven and the reality of heaven on the earth. That was there in the beginning. I want to burst a little bubble here. And I had this growing up. I grew up in church, and I was under the interpretation that in the beginning, everything was perfect. It doesn't say that. It actually says that the earth was formless and then God starts to to put things together. And then it says, and then the Lord made a garden in the midst of creation. So in uncultivated, incomplete creation, he puts a garden, a sacred designated space. You might even call it a temple. And then in the garden, he puts a tree in the midst of a garden on a mountain. And then we are told that in the midst of it all, he places the man and the woman in the garden. And he gives them this mandate. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. What is the original vision and mandate of humanity? Don't miss this. This is important. It was to expand the garden. 
It was to expand the family. It was to expand the reality of the king on the earth. That was there from the beginning. That was always the mandate of humanity. That we in his image would walk in his will. We would speak his word. We would multiply because the, the, the power of life and multiplication is in us. And we would walk with the spirit, in step with the spirit, establishing God's good and great plan and blessing on the earth. That is the original, that's what you were made for. Did you know that? Let me just preach that for a minute. You were made glorious. You were made for authority. You were made for a purpose. You were given a mandate. That is why we look all over this world for things that will validate us and vindicate us and satisfy us. It's because you were made for those things. The sin is not the hunger. The sin is how you choose to satisfy it. And so... This is the mandate from the beginning. I, I got to keep moving. So we find out in Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the story. So what, is, what happened with sin? We find that Adam and Eve forsake the mandate to worship God alone. And like it says in Romans 1, they worship the creation instead of the creator. And what happens when we worship the creation instead of the creator is that disorder enters the creation. So remember, it was disorder and chaos. God speaks order into it and brings creation. God establishes humans to establish his order. And then what happens? We forsake our mandate to be his image bearers. And we start to worship things that God made instead of the God that made them. And sin enters the story and disorder happens. And now the very things that we were called to subdue, subdue us. That's one way to understand how things are happening in Genesis. Are, are you with me? I think, I feel like this is good silence. Okay, good. So because of sin, the forces that we were made to subdue are now over us. You see, God established creation under us originally. But when we decided to worship created things, and when you decide to worship created things, sex, money, power, food, whatever it is, you are coming under something that you are supposed to lord over. That is, so, that is so big, so big. So let's, let's keep moving. So sin enters. Chaos starts to mess things up. And then what happens? We find out that God's plan still remains the same. God never changed the plan. It was always, I'm going to establish my will through these people on the earth, and there's going to be more, and it's going to be in abundance, and I'm going to bless everything through them. And we find out in Genesis chapter 12, God calls a man named Abram, changes his name to Abraham, and says, I am going to make a special family. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to set you apart from the rest of it. And I'm going to give you a special mandate. And look what he says to Abraham. He says, go from your country. I'm going to set you apart. You're going to get out of your father's household. And I'm going to establish a new household through you. And he says, I will make you into a great nation, a new people. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. Does that sound familiar? I'm going to make you more. And he goes on later and he says, I will, I'm going to give you a multitude of, of, of generations that go. You're going to be the father of a great nation. Doesn't that sound like be fruitful and multiply? It should. It's right there. It's right there. And then as we, as we track through, as we, as we track through the Old Testament, it speaks about God establishing his new family and his new nation, his new people who will walk, hopefully walk in the original mandate. And yet we find out what through the Old Testament, we find out that human beings because of sin are flawed. 
and that we were going to need somebody to reverse the curse that came in through sin. And so the whole Old Testament leads up to Jesus. And then what do we find out on Easter weekend? Let's, let's move the Wayback Machine forward. Here we are. We're now at 33 AD and Jesus hanging on a cross, on a tree, hanging on a tree, naked, no less. Does that sound familiar? And then he cries out, it is finished. And they take his body off the tree and they put him in the ground. And then what happens? And they put a stone over him and they seal him up. And then we find out that it's darkness. Darkness covers the land where there was light. Chaos seems to have overtaken it. And then what happens? Saturday comes, chaos. And then Sunday, the spirit is hovering over the waters and the spirit speaks into the son of man, the son of God, and life fills him. And now he is a living, everlasting king, an everlasting being who comes out of the tomb into a what? A garden. Y'all, you would almost think that the Bible has one real author. He comes out of the tomb into a garden, establishing a new creation as the true Adam as the Adam who succeeded where the original Adam failed, as the king who succeeded where the kings of Israel failed, as the father of the great nation where that nation failed, he, Jesus, is the one who reverses the curse. Now, I know we, we had to take that little 10-minute journey, but let's go back to Matthew 28 and see if we can't see it a little bit differently with that in mind. So then Jesus with the disciples, they went on top of a mountain. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, some doubt. And then Jesus came and they said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What is, do you remember? We were made in his image. We were made as the image bearers, the intersection of heaven and earth we were supposed to walk in. Jesus has reestablished that. Are you tracking? He said, all authority has been given to me. Now he says, Go. Therefore, go and make more. Make more. Make a new nation of disciples. Does this sound familiar? Doesn't that sound like, like what he was telling Abraham? Doesn't that sound like what he said over Adam and Eve? That's because it's the same thing. And then baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Bring that order into the chaos and bring new life out of death and give birth to people into this family that is the Great Commission. So, so get this. Genesis 1 says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Matthew 28 says to the church, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That's in effect what that is saying. So, so I want to press on that for a minute because the mission of the church is much bigger than, hey, let's get people to come to church and Pastor Brent can tell them about Jesus and maybe they'll make a commitment. Those things are fine and good, but the mission is much bigger than that. The mission is much bigger than me and my personal savior or a Jack Chick tract. Anybody remember him? No? Okay, that's going way back. The mission is the establishment of heaven on earth. That is the mission. I'm excited about it. The, the mission of God is that the kingdom of God would come on earth as in heaven through his image bearers. Who are his image bearers? Those who have come to, the, to Christ. 
who have been given a new life. That's what baptism represents. You were dead and buried. And then in the power of the spirit, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, you have been given a new birth into a new life, into a new family with a new mission and a new mandate that you now walk in the image of God, in perfect union with God, with all the authority of God in Christ Jesus, all the rights and privileges seated in Christ in heavenly places. That is who you and I are. Y'all, it is so much bigger than we've made it out to be. Like, like if you are in Christ, you are such, you are so much greater than you think you are. I, I don't know how to say that. Like I need this Holy Spirit. Help this settle someplace deeper in us. Go beyond our minds. You are so much bigger. Like you are, you are supposed to lord over creation, to bring God's rule and reign into the chaotic forces of this world. To, and then Jesus even told us, the, the scripture tells us that you will trample on the head of the serpent. If you could go back and read Genesis 3, that was the prophecy about what Jesus would do. And then Jesus said we would do that. We can overcome the powers that used to overcome us as we stand in Christ. Woo! It's big stuff. Like, let the, let the bar rise up for you for a moment. Like, like, what you have been called into in Christ is so much bigger than something you do on Sunday. Like, you were called into this, if you really believe what this scripture is telling us, you were called into this unbelievably high calling. And God forgive us for trying to lower the bar so people could get in. I was listening to a, an interview with Jordan Peterson and a bishop from Los Angeles last week. And the, the bishop was, was asking Jordan Peterson, why do you think that, that thousands and thousands of people are listening to your Bible studies when preachers like me and, and Brent Ingersoll, I didn't say my name, preach every week and, and people aren't as interested. And the, the, I thought Jordan Peterson said something stunning that we need to hear. He said, it's because you guys have lowered the bar. It's because, you, it's because you've, you've made it palatable for people. You've tried to be, quote unquote, relevant. Like this call is a high calling. You have been created in God's image and sin came in and tried to rob that from you. But Jesus because of his great love for us, came and reconciled us back to God, reestablished us in our rightful place as human beings and has brought new life to us. Let us never downplay that. That is the mission. That is the mandate of the church. Peter said it. Peter said it. Look what he said. Peter was there in Acts chapter 2 when the Spirit fell on the church. The Spirit hovered over the waters and fell on the church, and the church was born. And look what Peter said. This is what Peter thought of us. He said, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you, that you may, that you get to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, you were scattered and alone and fragmented and isolated, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father on the day he visits. You and I are sons and daughters of God. That has got to mean something. We can't just say that and nod like, yes, I am. And then go and live our lives like we are just ordinary Joes. We're not. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. That sounds like a game changer to me. I don't know about you. 
And I believe that God wants to reestablish his church. And first it begins in our vision. We've got to stop underselling what God did for us and who he's called us to be. And I think one of the great works of the enemy is to distort the truth of it. The truth of it is you were called to rule and reign on the earth. You were called to, to bring God's will and way into the earth. You were called to be ministers of reconciliation. You were called to be agents of change. You were called to be the ones who knew how to actually establish heaven on earth. And that is the vision of the church. And that is the vision of King's Church. Our vision is to see heaven invade St. John. Heaven invade Charlottetown. Heaven invade Halifax. Heaven invade Newfoundland. We are giving ourselves to that. Why? It's who we are. We're God's image bearers. We bring heaven wherever we go. Wow. Uh, Y'all, I'm I'm excited about it. It's It's not just caffeine. I'm just legit. It's so massive. It's so much bigger. And I just feel like I'm speaking to somebody who thought this was something small. And there's something actually like terrifying about what I'm saying. But there's something deep inside that says, I was made for that. I was made for glory. I was made for meaning. I was made for a purpose that is more than just my day job or more than just this live, live for money and then die. Like you are made for meaning. You are made in his image and it is so massive. You are a missionary. Like you are, the priesthood is everybody. There are no rock star preachers. There's no such thing. There's just the priesthood of all believers. My job as a pastor is just to to equip you and to to push you out there to to do the work of the ministry. That's the mission. Our mission, our mission is an all authority in heaven on earth in all the earth to the end of the age mission. It's a mission that brings life and light and hope. But if the enemy can't distort how we see ourselves, what he tries to do next is distract us. I gotta hurry, but this is important. The enemy will try to distract us. He'll get us off the one job and he'll get us thinking about things that don't really matter. The church is often distracted by herself. How many churches just get bogged down in bureaucracy and rules and guidelines and denominations and fairness and well you know so and so wants to sing a special this week so we're going to let her she's got a gift no she doesn't fairness and niceness has robbed the church of effectiveness it just has the the idolatry of certain positions in the church has robbed the church of its effectiveness Maybe God has you as a nurse to be the best darn Christian nurse that's ever nursed. And you don't have to have a microphone on the stage. We have got to stop making it seem like, you know what? The real Christians become pastors. That is not true. It is just not the design. God calls some to be pastors, some to be politicians, some to be nurses, some to be practitioners, some to be carpenters, some to be mothers, stay-at-home moms. And the job is that we bring the kingdom of heaven in in the space that God has planted us. That's it. That's the whole thing. We get distracted by ourselves, bogged down, trying to keep the peace, make sure everyone's happy. You know, so-and-so is real offended by what pastor said. So what? Get on mission. Get on mission. Get on, no, get on mission. 
when, like, I'm going to get in trouble. When, when we're really committed to a mission worth laying your life down for, the stupid arbitrary stuff doesn't matter. Like there's been times, and our church has been very graced, and this is why God has blessed this church so much. But I have been involved in the church for so long. There have been times where I've, I've heard the church arguing about things and talking about things and obsessing about things where I'm like, are we really talking about this? This matters? The carpet matters? You know, the plaque on the wall dedicated to so-and-so matters? In the grand scheme of the Great Commission, it's nothing. It's all unto the glory of God that the nations would know King Jesus. We get distracted by ourselves. We get distracted by our fears. Self-preservation robs the church. It absolutely robs the church. We're too afraid to pay the price to go into all the earth and make disciples. We don't, wanna, we don't want it to cost our comfort. We're too afraid We get distracted by heavenly things. What do I mean by that? Well, you've heard the old term, you're so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. You ever heard that? Now, I've tried to correct that in the past. I think being heavenly minded is very important. But what the, the original meaning was, was that there are churches that get so caught up in themselves and in their, their, their own minds that they have no connection to the world that God called us to go into. And so I've seen places that are literally death by doctrine, they're so deep in the study that they don't even know the one they're, they're, they're talking about. Like I, I've, been to, I've been part of fundamentalist gatherings that are so deep into the word. They can memorize scripture. They know, they know the doctrine of transubstantiation. They can, they can tell you all the crazy things about doctrine and theology and church history. And yet, have you seen someone baptized lately? They don't want to risk the mess that reaching people actually is. But I've also seen the other side of that coin. I've seen, I've seen uh, gatherings and, and the tendency in the church to want to just stay in that place of worship, stay in the place where we're gathered together, singing and worshiping God. And we love that. We love worship. And there's a good, there's a, good, there's a God-honoring thing that says, you know, one thing I ask, one thing I seek is to, to gaze upon your beauty and remain in your temple. But I'll tell you what, God did not call us to just remain in the temple. We are the temple and we are supposed to go out as the temple into the world. I'll never forget, I was in this large charismatic conference and I mean, the worship was like four hours long and it was just intense and I remember Reinhard, the late Reinhard Bonnke getting up there and he said something that was pretty cutting to that crowd. And he said, you know what? We could worship 24-7 and pray 24-7 and not a soul would be saved. Somebody's got to leave this gathering and go out there and be salt and light in this world. And so you come to the gathering, you get filled up so that we get sent out. That is the mission and the mandate and the design of the church. We get distracted by heavenly things. We also, and this is a real concern, I wish I had more time to unpack this today, but we get distracted by earthly things, lost causes. What I mean by that? I mean the cause of the lost. We are letting the world's version of justice become our number one cause. Or we're letting the world's idea of reconciliation guide the way for us. And we're throwing everything we can at being a justice warrior or at being someone who brings reconciliation or someone who brings equality or all these things that are very important and the world is very passionate about right now. But the church has got to realize something, that the standard of the world for justice is far beneath God's standard. 
And God, and the standard the world has for reconciliation, for racial reconciliation, it's not the standard that heaven has. We can't get distracted by lost causes. The enemy wants to distract us. Don't give yourself to the cause of the world's version of identity and equality and justice and life and peace and prosperity. They're just shadows of the real thing. We are called to establish the real. We've got to fight to stay on mission. I'll be done in just like five minutes, maybe 10. said, as for me and my house, we will fight to stay on the mission of God. The enemy is trying to distort how we understand ourselves You are greater than you think you are if you are in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, you are less than you think you are. I guarantee you. But if you are in Christ, you are great. Like you are a son and daughter of the most high God. I don't know how else to say that. That's the most unimaginable thing. But we have got to fight to stay on mission. We've got to fight to actually stay on the mission of God as the church. To realize that God wants to spend the church to save the world. You know that? I, I think I shared this a few months ago. I'll, uh, four or five months into the pandemic, I was really getting nervous and anxious about the idea of not having and gathering in church. And I remember talking to the Lord and just saying, God, I'm really, I'm really concerned. I, you know, I want to make sure that we can save the church. I don't want to lose this, this church. And I felt the Spirit say to me, son, I'm not interested in saving the church. I'm interested in spending the church to save the world. What's it to you if you have to empty yourself in this season to save some? That's what God is after. God is after the church to establish the kingdom on earth. Okay, really quick, really quick. What does it look like? Here's a couple ideas. First is this. This is how we accomplish the mission. We immerse people in the family. First and foremost, this is a call to, a, to be part of a new family and a new life. We immerse people in the family through informing them of the truth and inviting them to be part of the family. That's really what evangelism is. It's to speak the truth and it's to invite people to give their lives to Christ. That's evangelism. And that's what Jesus was getting at. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Go out. And he said, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So first and foremost, we have to tell, right? You have to tell people about Jesus, right? Okay, good, good. This is important stuff. I know some of it feels tedious, but if we don't get these measurements and we don't get these values and these, these foundations right, the whole thing's going to be built off kilter. Our job is to be carriers of Jesus to people. We have to inform people in the truth. Paul said in Romans, how will people know if they have not been told? They haven't heard. You have to tell people about Jesus. It's not just my job. And then we are invited to immerse people in the family. The reality is there are so many people who don't know about Jesus. I I was actually stunned this week. I was getting my hair cut. And uh, the barber next to me, he was telling me, he knows I'm a pastor. He said, actually, the craziest thing, uh, I had a kid sitting in my chair this week. And he goes, uh, he had a little Jesus figurine on his table in front of him. And he said, I, I, the kid asked, who's the guy, who's the, who's the action figure? And I, and I said, it's Jesus. And he goes, who's Jesus? It's a kid in St. John. I had no idea. He was 10 years old. No clue. Who's Jesus? Never even heard the name. How will they know? And then we tell people about Jesus, and then we invite them to be immersed in the family. I love that it tell, Jesus commanded us to baptize them. That's a, there's something happening there that it's not just the picture of an individual's decision and a picture of an individual being dead to self and brought into new life, but it's also a picture of us 
bringing them into the family. They're baptized into community. Do you see it? In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into a family. What I'm asking for in this season is this. I'm asking God to give us a fresh vision and a fresh burden to reach people with the good news of Jesus and the establishment of his kingdom. Let me ask you a question. Who have you told lately? Who have you told lately? Billy Graham once said, the greatest act of love for another person is to tell them about Jesus. You know, the devil would love for you to give someone a hot meal but not tell them about Jesus. He's fine with that. He's fine with you clothing the naked as long as you don't tell them it was Jesus' love that compelled you to do it. He's fine for you fighting for the oppressed as long as they don't know that Jesus is the ultimate liberator of those who are oppressed. We must tell people about Jesus. And then as we invite people to come, be baptized in his name, to be born anew into, the new, into our family, here's, here's where the, the second job of the Great Commission is this, that we then form people in the faith. The Great Commission isn't just about telling people, it's about training people in the faith. And this is where I have missed it in the past. And this is where our church has missed it in the past. You know, we, we've, we've looked for converts and not disciples. We've looked for people who made a decision, but they didn't become disciples. We looked for believers. I believe in Jesus, but then they aren't changed into his likeness. And I think Jesus was redundant on purpose. Did you catch it in the Great Commission? He, he, he was kind of redundant. He says, go, verse 19, make disciples of all nations. Okay, make disciples. What's a disciple? A disciple is an apprentice. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus in every part of their lives. That's what a disciple is, right? A disciple is not just someone who believes in Jesus. A disciple is someone who follows Jesus, amen? But then he goes on and he says, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Like, it's, it's like he was redundant. A disciple would have to learn everything he commanded, but it's like Jesus almost knew, yeah, you're gonna miss this part, so you need to realize the Great Commission is not just go and tell people about me everywhere and baptize them. It's training them in the life. It's developing them. It's about transformation. And this is what Dallas Willard, one of my favorite theologians and authors, said, and this has been so, so convicting to me, and this is something I want us to take into this next season. He said, for at least the last several decades, the churches of the Western world have not made discipleship a condition of being a Christian. One is not required to be or to intend to be a disciple in order to become a Christian. And one may remain a Christian without any signs of progress towards discipleship. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of existence. See, we've, this is from a book called The Great Omission. And the whole, the whole premise is we've omitted that part of the Great Commission. That we actually have to train one another and train ourselves to live the life of discipleship. Our job as the church is not to get verbal commitments. Our job is to make disciples. Amen? It really is. Did you know what? God's evangelism strategy was never to get big tents and some big name preacher to come in and convert people. 
His evangelism strategy was that disciples would make disciples would make disciples would make disciples. And that your life would be so compelling to people, they'd want to know, what is it? That you would actually make disciples. You're called to this great commission. And so we are in a place of a shift where we are going to seek to fulfill the great commission with all the urgency that we had in the past to get the good news to as many people as possible, but to add urgency to training people up in discipleship. That's who we are called to be. We are called to disciples. So as for me and my house, we will be on mission. Here's a word for us as I, as I close. I believe right now is time for us to reset our mission, to remind ourselves that we have been called by Christ to go into this world where he has planted us. Missionaries aren't people who go overseas. In fact, you know where the number one godless part of the world is now? You're living in it. Western society. There are missionaries coming from Africa and Asia and South America to us all the time. Y'all, you have been planted here on mission. You are on mission. We are called. We need to reset our mission. We need to rebuild our model. We are going to be sending you out as evangelists. And if that seems like a bridge too far and a call too high, now is a great time to jump ship. Because that's what we're going to do as a church. No longer is it going to be, you know, we're going we're gonna to just hope that people find Jesus by osmosis or we're going to, Brent's going to lead them all to Christ or whatever. It's going to be, we're going to train our church to be disciples who make disciples. That's what we're after. And then ultimately, I think we need to right now realize we have an unbelievable opportunity. You know that the world is hungry for glory, hungry for meaning, hungry for truth, hungry for hope, hungry for reconciliation, hungry for, for justification, and we have it. Amen? I, I was thinking about Romans chapter 8. I'll read this and I'll pray. Romans 8, Paul tells us this, that the Spirit himself hovering, the Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's what? Oh, say it like that matters. We are God's what? We're God's, we are God's, God Almighty's children. Whew. Let that hit you. Now, if we actually are children, then here's this, what this means. Then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Someone needs to hear that. Keep going. Now watch this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. There are vacuums in creation waiting to be filled with the reality of the kingdom of heaven through the children of God. And we have got to step into those places and bring the truth and bring the life and bring the hope that only God's kingdom has. Amen? That's, that's the space. If you see something in need of a solution, you need to see yourself as that solution. That's who we are. So as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If we could take the Wayback Machine to 20, 2121, let's fast forward 100 years. We don't need to start it up. We'll just, we'll just go there. What decisions and what changes could we make that could absolutely change everything for the next 50 years? I believe we're in that window right now. And I believe that we are God's plan for Atlantic Canada. Do you believe that? 
We are God's plan for Atlanta, Canada. Would you stand to your feet? I want to pray for us. I want to pray just a commissioning over us. Just want you to bow your heads wherever you are. Close your eyes. Open your hands. And I'm just going to speak slowly and let the Spirit declare this into your spirit. You have been bought for a price. God shed the blood of his own son to call you his son, to call you his daughter. Let that unsettle you and establish you. You have been called to mission. The mission of bringing heaven to earth that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And there is no greater mission to give your life to than this. There is nothing more worthy of your time, your energy, your sacrifice, your money than for people to know that Jesus is Lord and that they can be saved when they call upon him. There is nothing greater. God, establish that conviction deeper in us today. You have been created in advance to do good works. God has designed you and equipped you uniquely to do good works. He has planted you in the place that you are currently in to do good works, to bear his image, to subdue the forces of evil, and to bring the culture of heaven into that place. And you have been commanded, commanded to make disciples of all nations. So go, 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 go in your calling, go in your created design, go in the command of God and make disciples and know that he will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Bless you, church.